Welcome to Stories of Hope. I'm Christine Hotchkiss. I believe everyone has a story that is unique, just like our fingerprints that put us on the path and the journeys of our lives. Some find purpose. Every story can help, heal, inspire, educate. And my biggest word of all is to give hope. Today, my guest is Chuck Keels. And we're going to title this Miraculous (laughs) Journeys with Stage 4 Cancer. Sometimes I just don't have the tongue first thing in the morning to talk. Let me tell you a little bit about Chuck. With a larger-than-life personality, Chuck brings joy, encouragement, and positivity everywhere he goes. Chuck experienced complete healing from stage 4 cancer in just recently, 2015, given only three months to live when diagnosed with 90% of his bones affected by cancer. He had a divine moment of healing that changed his life miraculously. His story is incredible and can be found in his book, Hi, I'm Chuck or by inviting him to personally tell it to a group of any of any size. It's a magnificent lesson of healing. Of course, my big word is hope. Chuck has a heart to walk alongside those who are affected by cancer. And I, th- I think most everybody knows somebody who's had cancer of some sort. He coaches out of experience and can identify with the patient having, quote unquote, been there and, quote unquote, done that. He offers encouragement and hope for a place of understanding. Please help me welcome my guest, Chuck Keels. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning. How you doing? I am great. Um, you know, it is uh, the time of the year where we're trying to figure out which way we're going because we're ending a year and coming into a new year. And right now I am grateful for you giving me your time. We always, we've all heard about cancer, all different types of cancer. Your journey is definitely one I want to share because it's, it's in depth where you even actually came to a point where you you gave up everything being told you had three months to live. So please share your story with my listeners. So before I get into my story, like I said, thank thank you for inviting me on. Um, it's, it's an honor. Um, I think it's interesting also that we crossed paths and met. Um, and then I was looking into, um, you know, what you do with your podcast and the messages that you get out there. And then I seen that, that the name of them was Stories of Hope. And I have to tell you, the last five years of my life, um, when I tell my story, the biggest thing that you cannot get from a doctor or even from, you know, your husband or wife or anybody going through um, a cancer journey or maybe any other journey that it may be with something difficult in your life is the word hope. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just something you don't find everywhere. And so when I started telling my story, I will have to say the biggest life changer for me was the fact that I was able to give people in very difficult places hope. <laughs> it's, a, it's a small word, but it means so much, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. It's it's it's, it's a small word with a huge meaning. Um, and um, like you said, it 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 can be it can be a diff, it can be a game changer in someone's journey with cancer to hear from somebody that has been through it and that have um, made it survived it. And because the people that are going through it, that's that's one of the biggest things. They're they're very lost. They're very confused. Um, and, um, so, um, without getting into too much of that right now, I'll tell you how this all happened yes. because the story is to me as an old 
farm boy from Ohio. I went to Ohio State. I moved out to Phoenix 25 years ago and had a landscaping business designing and installing people's landscaping and swimming pools. Um, this this journey, I mean, is is completely unbelievable to me. Um, it, 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 I get excited to tell it um, because it's, it's, it's like I watch people's faces look at me. And um, so um, five years ago, as I was landscaping and designing landscaping, um, I was getting sick and I didn't know what was going on. And I have something that I call the male mentality. I will be okay <laughs> tomorrow. You know, I'll, when, I, when I wake up tomorrow, it'll be gone. It'll be fine. Yeah. And as I woke up each day, it wasn't gone. It was worse. It was worse and worse and worse. And I managed it. I'm not a big um, aspirin taker. I'm kind of a healthy guy into juicing and, you know, wheatgrass and, you know, uh, organic organic and clean mm -hmm. diet and all that stuff. And so um, I started taking aspirin on a regular basis um, to manage the pain. It was mm -hmm. going through my back, mostly my pelvis a little bit. Uh, headaches started. And as it increased, um, the, the, the aspirin stopped managing the pain. It couldn't, it couldn't keep up with it. Um, and so I drug myself into work for a couple more weeks. Um, I could barely carry my briefcase in the office the last couple of days. And so what happened was on a Friday night, I took my boys downtown uh, Gilbert, Arizona to uh, the food trucks and um, I couldn't find a comfortable chair in the place. I was complaining about the chairs and here it was my, it was my body, you know? <laughs> and what happened was when we got home, uh, we watched a movie and I couldn't get comfortable on the couch, on the floor with pillows and blankets, nothing. And when my two high school boys went to bed, I went to the closest hospital mm. at the hospital. They started running tests and the fastest test that comes back is a, is a, is a simple x-ray. They did a lot of tests, but the results don't come back fast, except the x-ray was the first one to come back. And the um, emergency room doctor, came in and sat down and said, you have two fractured vertebrae in your back. <laughs> I'm sitting there like, what are you talking about? Right. What do you mean? I haven't fallen? You know, what? how could this be? And what happened was she said, well, this looks, this is actually pretty common, but um, we've got to wait till the rest of the scans come back, the results come back before we get into it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I sat in the emergency room in a, in a room by myself um, that night. And at five in the morning, a, um, the door opened, the, the, the emergency room doctor came in and she closes the door and she puts a chair next to me and she says, I've got bad news. Everything that's going on in your body right now is cancer related. Oh my gosh. You know, I'm sitting, I'm sitting there by myself five o'clock in the morning in the hospital and my head starts to spin and I'm like, okay, I start asking, well, what, what kind of cancer and how bad is it? And, you know, all the things that you would, you would think of when the word cancer comes up. And she says, I know, I don't know anything else besides it's, it's cancer and we're going to bring in specialists. So they brought in specialists that day that did the biopsies into the bone marrow and the lymph nodes in my body. And if anybody ever tells you about a bone marrow biopsy, I was awake for it. They uh, numb. It's painful. They numb. Well, they numb my hip. It's more weird than it is painful because you're sitting there and the doctor pulls out a drill that looks like something you'd see from Home Depot <laughs> and it drills through your skin into your bone to yeah. get a sample of the bone marrow. I'm watching this and I can feel the pressure and they do it a couple times as I'm sitting there um, awake, you know, with all oh. my hip area and pelvis numbed up. So uh, they sent me home. 
Three weeks go by. I'm telling my friends and family that it was diagnosed with cancer, but I didn't know anything about it yet. I started asking people I knew that were in the medical industry, doctors, nurses, friends of mine. And they said, there's nothing they can tell yet because they needed to see the rest of this, of the, of the, the bone. Scans. Or the, mm-hmm. Yeah. The scans and everything. Three weeks, three days go by. The hospital calls me. I go back. I sit in a room with the, the doctors, a couple specialists. Um, and um, they said, um, we can't believe you just walked in here. <laughs> they said, we, we cannot even really believe that you're alive at this point. You wow. have cancer in 90% of the bones in your body. They said, you're at stage four. They said, it's so bad. There's so much of it in your body. We don't even know where it originated. We can't tell you what kind of cancer it is. All we know is where it goes to where it's fed and it's in your bone marrow and your lymph nodes, all of your body. And you might make it another three months. Oh my. And, um, as you can imagine, I'm, I'm just a mess, a mess. I mean, just huge tears rolling down your, I wasn't, I didn't even feel like I was crying. I was just, I couldn't stop the tears from just flowing. Well, your life, you're, you're used to doing this routine and living life as we all are used to taking things for granted. And we really, really shouldn't your whole world just got turned upside down. Your whole body was now affected by something. You don't even know what you didn't know you had it. You didn't know how you got it. You don't know even if it's curable. And then you're told that you have three months to live. But and honestly, it gets, and, and it gets worse. It gets, Oh, sorry. Please finish telling me. They sent me home and I get a knock on my door that day and it's two hospice nurses. Oh no. Oh, they already decided that that was that. Uh, bad. There's nothing you can do about it. It's so much of it in my body. Go home and be with your family and be at peace. And they and they sent hospice to my house. I was put in hospice in 2015. This is five years later, and I'm somewhat healthy. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty healthy. <laughs> but here's the here's the big here's the big what happened. So as you mentioned, um, the next thing was okay. What do you do with this? Yeah. Okay, I'm packing up my stuff and I'm going back to Ohio and I'm spending time with my mom and dad and my family and people I love mm-hmm. um, if I've only got three months to live. So I'm thinking about it and I'm like, you don't pack up your stuff if you've got three months to live. You get rid of your stuff and go see your family. I'm not trucking my all my crap across the country. <laughs> you, know, you know how hard that is huh. if I've got three months and I'm melting away. And so I started telling friends that wanted to come and say goodbye to me because they knew I was going to Ohio, bring a truck, get a U-Haul, whatever you can, take what you want. And I had the brown leather furniture, the flat screen TVs, the gorgeous end tables and lamps. This is stuff I worked my butt off my entire life to have this amazing, really cool material stuff around me. And after this diagnosis, that stuff meant nothing. Nothing. Absolutely. Absolutely nothing. Gave it all away that week. Um, stayed at a resort on Saturday night because Sunday me and my two boys are flying out of the Phoenix uh, International Airport in the middle of town. And the next morning I get up and I go down the hall and something pops and I hit the floor. Oh. I'm on the floor face down and I'm in a I'm in a I'm in a pain that I cannot even imagine or it's even hard to describe the only way i can describe it is you know how your diaphragm kind of moves when you breathe yeah i couldn't even breathe i couldn't take a good breath i was laying on the floor and if i did try to breathe it felt like someone was stabbing me in the back with a knife and then running it up to my head and back down i i i'm a i'm a very 
I'm a, I will say this. I'm a very tough old farm boy from Ohio. <laughs> I've had injuries that you wouldn't even believe. And people are like, you did what? <laughs> and I was like, I wrapped a t-shirt around it and I kept working. You know, <laughs> I actually could not believe the pain I was in. And when the fire department got there, eight guys got me onto a gurney. They had to get me down some steps. It's a cute little uh, resort that has a little mountainy area. I felt every bump. Like, I mean, like, oh, you know, every time they moved me, every time. And then they put me in the ambulance and the ambulance had to drive down out of this little mountainy road. I felt every bump. They got me to the nearest hospital. They start running tests. They bring two spinal surgeons, a cancer doctor, a house doctor, and a house administrator in on this. That's my medical team now. They run scans. They look at my old scans. And they go, we want to fight this. And I go, you know, what are you going to do? I've already been in hospice. Right. They said, we're doing two surgeries tomorrow and we're starting chemo the next day. The two surgeries were a port that goes in your chest that takes the chemo in. The other surgery is called an orchiotomy. It's actually stopping the male production of testosterone, which actually was flea feeding and inflaming the cancer. Interesting. So if you catch and, and for the first time when they start running their tests, they said it was prostate cancer. It started in the male, pro it started in my prostate. It goes to where it's fed. And when it got to the bone marrow and the lymph nodes, it ignited. Spread. Mm. And, and I will say it could have been growing in there for two or three years. That's how long, it, that's how much cancer I had throughout my body. And maybe that's how crazy this old Ohio farm boy is that, you know, <laughs> I was pushing through each day, man, I feel like crap today. You know, I remember hiking Camelback mountain with my two boys and they're like, dad, we want we wish we could have hiked with you when you were younger. I go, I know I feel like crap today. This was three <laughs> weeks before I was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Perseverance. Yeah. So, you know, so basically two, two, they said, we got two surgeries tomorrow and then we're starting chemo. And I said, Hey, a fight's a fight. Let's go. Let's do it. I'm in. So I went in through two surgeries. I remember every light in the room. I remember every nurse's name. Um, I, I, I remember everything up to the surgery until they put the anesthesia or anesthesia in the, in the you know, IV. And then I was out two and a half hours later, I'm in the recovery room. I wake up. After I've come to for a while, the docs come in and they explain to me the surgery went perfectly. The nurses brought me some water and said, hey, your family's waiting upstairs for you. It's just going to be a couple more minutes. You're going upstairs. And it's an older hospital and it's kind of a long room. And I just remember a lot of curtains and they would open the curtain and take somebody else into their surgery, bring people out and close the curtains. So it was a busy little area. And all of a sudden, the room gets weird cold. Weird, weird cold, bone chilling cold for no reason. And the first thing I do is look to the right because I'm like, did somebody just open a door and, and let the cold air in? And I'm starting to scrunch up. And as I look back to the left, I do this crazy double take and Jesus is standing next to me. I see a brown robe, the way I describe it, it's like almost like flowing chocolate milk, like beautiful brown robe, a white scarf, his beard, his face. And all I see is his right hand reach out and it touches me on the shoulder and he's gone. And I mean, maybe, maybe three or four seconds, this whole thing. And I knew, I knew as soon as I saw him that I was in the presence of Jesus. I didn't think it was a nurse or a doctor or a janitor or somebody in the room. I'm looking at Jesus. He touches me and I don't really tell it much anymore, but I remember in my head thinking, he said, I got you. I got you. And he touched my shoulder and he's gone. 
And I'm laying there flipping out. I'm, I'm flipping out. I'm freaking out. I'm like, what was that? This, this, I used to, I, I went, I grew up Catholic in Ohio. I didn't go to church much now. And I'd rather be out hiking on a Sunday morning than sitting in church. I do like church and I like the lesson that they teach. And I like that part of it. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm an outside boy. I'd rather be on my mountain bike or, or doing a mud run or, or hiking, um, you know, when on a Sunday morning. And if that's what comes, I go out the door. I love that. I love doing that. Why would Jesus be visiting me? You know, the last person you would think that Jesus would be visiting. And I have this, I have this event happen and, um, the nurses wheel me up to the room. I tell my family, they're all in tears. Nobody understands what's going on. And the next morning, the nurses come in and they say, here's your drugs for uh, your steroids for shrinking tumors in your body. Here's your bone strengtheners because the, the, the cancer had caused so much problem in the bones in my body. They call it metastasism. Right. And that's what caused the back to break. That's what that was when it popped and I hit the floor. My spine collapsed. My back broke. Um, so they're giving me medication now that will help strengthen that up. And then they go, now it's time for your pain meds. On a scale from one to 10, Chuck, how bad your pain? Because we got to give it to you according to what you're feeling. Right. The day before I was on liquid morphine, <laughs> I was doing a shot of liquid morphine about every five hours to keep the pain down. I was just numbed up as, you know, what was going on. And so I set up in the bed and I look at them and I go, I don't feel any pain. And they're no, looking at me. No pain, no pain at all. Zero. Zero pain. Were you feeling numb? That's why you didn't feel any pain or you just didn't feel? I, I don't know. I didn't have any pain meds throughout the night. And that morning, they usually give me my first shot. Mm -hmm. And um, they said, you just had surgery and you just broke your back. You know, order something. And I said, I don't even like taking aspirin. Cocktails on them. Give them. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to take a drug if I don't have to, right? Unders oh, totally understand that one. So basically, I didn't order anything. They handed me the little nurse call button in your bed, in your hospital bed. Mm -hmm. And they said, as soon as your, as soon as your pain starts and it will, you just had surgery yesterday. As soon as it starts, push the button and we'll bring something in. We don't want it to get too crazy, you know, you know, and, and out of control from that day to chatting with you right now, Christine, I did not touch another pain med. Wait a minute. That was five years ago. Five years ago, I had prescriptions coming in from hospice from the from the new hospital I was at. I had pain meds piling up on my kitchen counter. I took two grocery bags of pain meds to the fire department near me to dispose of them. Wow. I told my docs, don't order anything else. I don't need it. I don't need it. OK, wow. and, 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 and I'm starting to think what is going on here. Me too. I'm thinking that right now. And you had given me chills, by the way, when you shared with me that you know you had seen Jesus. So it's it's you know, I I had a friend call me one day and said, I've been reading your story. I want to talk to you. And I said, What's up? And they said, Do you know how many people in this world have seen Jesus? And I yeah. said, I've no I've never I haven't thought about that, you know? Mm -hmm. And my friend's like, not very many. And I started Googling and read some really amazing stories of people around the world that through a, you know, whatever. I seen a lot of a lot of stories about people seeing a light or seeing, you know, um, you know, something, uh, a dream, but not looking next to them and seeing Jesus there. So what happened was I went through six months of chemo. I was moved from this hospital for 10 days where I was at 
to the Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale, Arizona. And if you Google the, the Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale, Arizona, it's in the middle of the desert. There's nothing around it. And so what that, and the reason why I tell you that is because what I did was on the days that the chemo wasn't just flat out kicking my tail, which was, you know, quite a bit after the chemo, mm -hmm. I couldn't hardly get out of bed. But on my good days, I sat up and slipped into my shoes. And being an old farm boy, I wake up at 4.35 in the morning. I would walk out of the hospital across the street into the desert. I just wanted to get my body moving again. I wanted to see if I could get my arms and my body moving again and watch the sun coming up real slow. And also, I had an opportunity to have an unbelievable chat with God. And I said, what gives? <laughs> everything, <laughs> everything in my life has been taken away. I don't have my kids, my job, my health. I said, now it's just me and you. What gives? And I start hearing a voice like me and you chatting right now. Well, Chuck, you've wasted a lot of time in your life. Wow. And you're going to get it all back little by little. And as you do, I want you to focus on what you're truly passionate about. Mm. And, I, and I'm, a, I'm a mess. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, who, what is this? I'm having a conversation with God that continued, that has continued for the last five years. Okay. The direction my life went in. Um, there was mornings that I, I always, I always tell everybody, my dog's name is Jax. And I said, I should, I should write a book that starts with, um, this morning's walk with Jax, you know, uh, you know, I had a conversation with God or I was thinking about this, or I decided to do this, but the inner, and the reason why I bring that up is I would say, God, I'm completely confused about this, this, or this and get answers and get answers that I didn't really think of. And I'm like, wow. So that's why people around me are like, oh, I don't know if I believe that or not. Well, guess what? I said, you know, if you can heal this, this old body from near death stage four cancer, you've got my attention and I'm going to listen to you. And as I started getting these messages from God, I started implementing them into my life. So this, this farm boy landscaper, all of a sudden started getting calls from all over the place because people was reading my story and they said, my wife was diagnosed, my coworker, my cousin, my best friend, my grandma. I started getting calls from all over the place because people wanted to know what I did to survive stage four cancer. And this is what we were first talking about when we first got on the call was I would tell them what I did because I, I tell them my story like I just told you. I told him what I did. I prayed. I, 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 I love the word love and I love love. The people around me, the, the, the people that came out of the woodwork from my kids' school, from my community, from the church, that love is so healing that people underestimate it. So I tell them prayer, love, juicing, which is nutrition, getting something good in your body for your immune system to do what it's supposed to do in the first place. Uh, essential oils, which I fell in love with frankincense and lavender and a bunch of oils, understanding that they do help the immune system and they help detox the body of all this chemo and crap that was going through my system. And the, and the last thing I tell them is move your body. You can't sit on the couch, lay in bed, keep the covers over your face because you were diagnosed with cancer. You've got to move your body. And I completely understand that that's going to be different for everybody. I think that people forget that they themselves, it's their body. They have the fighting chance yep. all by themselves. Yes, there's some assistance needed, as you've already talked about chemo and some medications, but you are your own body and you 
possess your own mind, thoughts, everything. So yeah, get up, get moving. Don't give up because someone said, oh, you have three months to live. Don't give up. Don't give up because someone said you can't do this. Get up and show everyone, yes, you can. If you really have that thrive for life, however you want to put it on whatever level, you get up and move that one foot in front of the other. And it sounds like you did a lot more than just move your feet, but... Yeah. And I, I was a little crazy. I mean, I started walking in the park and I started looking at the hill going, I can, I, I can't run anymore. And I was a pretty decent runner, I uh -huh. two to three miles a day running and stuff. I said, I think I can run to the top and walk to the bottom. And in the next two weeks got up to where I was doing 12 to 14 hills a day. It just takes you know, one step. Through chemo. Through chemo. Oh, and wow. here's, here's what everybody has to understand also is I did have a miraculous healing from cancer, but I still had a very broken down human body that lost 40 pounds. The muscle melted off of me and had a spinal collapse that I had to nurse back. So that's where a lot of these things came into play was the cancer wasn't, wasn't getting me, but I still had to fight. And, and here's, a, here's another interesting thing also, Christine, is, is all the things that we just talked about, the, the prayer, the love, the juicing, the oils, and the moving the body – what what's really the common factor <laughs> what's happening in the human mind what happens in your brain where i said all right i'm gonna do this what do, what do you they call they call me okay what what do i juice how do i juice and i give them a recipe of organic vegetables and fruits and they go and they, they go to a walmart or a target or they get on amazon and get a juicer and they start juicing but the beautiful thing about it is the hope that the story gives them, the fight that it gives them. Now they've got some things, I call it homework or boots on the ground. You gotta get into action like you just said. Absolutely. You gotta get off the couch. Uh, we've got hats and shirts that say, get up and live. Absolutely. Exactly what that means. Getting one foot in front of the other. It may be very little. It's very little for especially someone that maybe went through a surgery because of their cancer. Mm -hmm. They they just had something seriously surgery. They're not going to go to a gym or to the park and walk hills. Mm -mm. But can they get it on their living room floor, turn on their smart TV, go on YouTube and type in a breathing class? Controlled breathing is amazing. Or how about a stretching class? You know, these things they can do. So we start them out at whatever pace they can do. And so in this journey, um, I was um, I, I bought little cards that said cancer coach. <laughs> I became this cancer coach because it just happened. I didn't go to school for it. Um, but what happened was uh, my cousin introduces me to a young lady. Uh, she's got stage four breast cancer. Um, I cannot believe her story, her life, her drive, her walk with Jesus. And, which for, my, and for my listeners, we're going to have part two with your bride, yeah. who is Hannah, um, in the in the days to come. Um, yeah. real, real quickly, because um, we're running out of time, and I we could go on and on about this, and I'm sure a lot of people are like, oh, there's so much more that I, they could share or they could ask questions of. You mentioned a book in our talks. You yes. have a book? Did you end up writing a book? Is it about talking, walking with Jax? Well, yeah, and, and, and actually, it's called it's called Hi, I'm Chuck, and it's and on the back it says my story about um, Jesus and Jax. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what happened? What happened was um, the story that I just told you in the last 20, 30 minutes. I couldn't get into the detail and what it's like to get your first round of chemo to tell your kids that you were told you got three months to live. That's what's in the book. And that's why it blows people's mind is because the book goes into detail about what that journey was like. Um, and, and so that's why that's important. Um, the thing about meeting Hannah was Hannah became my wife. 
Mm-hmm. We got married. We had so much in common. It was unbelievable. We couldn't believe what was happening and, and just, you know, this, this beautiful um, relationship. And then we pushed our desks together because we were helping a lot of cancer foundations raise money and speak for them and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we said, let's start our own foundation. We pushed our desks together and we launched something called Living Hope Cancer Foundation. It can be found on, you can Google Living Hope Cancer Foundation. Uh, We've got a Facebook page. It's on Instagram. And we've got something that I really want to give a quick shout out before we get off of here. And me and Hannah actually did 40 little two to three minute videos called the Cancer Roadmap Project. Now, everybody that's asking for help and direction and coaching and support and hugs and love, it's all right there. Oh. 40 little videos that you can go on to livinghopecancerfoundation.com or you can go on YouTube and type in Cancer Roadmap Project Day 1, Day 7, Day 13, whatever it is, they're all on there and they're free. Now you also want- do a Facebook Live on this, do you not? Yeah, we, we do lives. We try to do them every Friday. Okay. It's been a little challenging because Hannah's cancer started spreading la- about eight months ago, and it's been really tough on us as far as you know, um, energy and, yeah. and, and things like that. And so we try to do a live, we called it a coffee chat, um, every Friday on Facebook. Um, and so if you go on living hope cancer foundations page, if, if we get through our mornings, which we usually do, and, um, and, and here's a kind of cool thing too, is everybody that's, you know, everybody right now, they're really focused on this coronavirus thing and they're, and they're scared. And a lot of them are staying home and it's changed their lives. Yes. Well, the blessing in the coronavirus for us was when we started doing these lives and you know, we got excited when we got to six, seven, 800 people watching these lives. Well, through the coronavirus over the last eight months, we watched it go to 2000, nice. 4,000, 10,000 up to 12,000 people watching Hannah and me talk about our journey through cancer on these lives. And that's the blessing that we found in through this coronavirus is that we had a captive audience and that we could share with them um, something from two stage four cancer people that they can take this inspiration and this hope and use it in anything that they're doing in their life. I love that. And you keep using my word and that's hope. And I think actually it's everybody's adapted word. Uh, the, the final question I like to ask, you have a lot on your journey with you overcoming cancer. And now you're walking this journey again with your bride, Hannah. What message would you like to leave our listeners based on either your journey together or separately or about life in general? Well, you know what? Everybody has a challenge in life. It might not be cancer. It might be um, a bad relationship you're in. It could be um, a bad job that you don't like. Um, Change is completely up to you. And change does not have to be huge. It can be tiny baby steps today and doing something different today, a little tiny bit every day. And looking back a year from now and seeing that you are in a complete different place and out of that place that was painful or challenging or toxic to you. So I love to take what we've learned through our journey, Hannah and myself, and teach people that you can make changes and you can, not only can you make changes, you could maybe be telling a neighbor or a cousin or a family member about your change and touch their life. 
Great. So we've 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 started to uh, network here. We started to uh, duplicate ourselves and teach people to you know to to not only get through their journey, but share it share it because everybody can relate to it and um, and and change maybe change somebody else's life. It's not identical, but it's definitely very similar, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for being my guest today, Chuck, and I look forward to actually uh, speaking with Hannah. Uh, about her journey too. Real quickly, where can your book be found once again? Um, So you can go on Amazon and you can find Hi, I'm Chuck. I know it sounds silly, but a friend of mine told me to name it that. (laughs) And I said, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. And after 60 different titles, it came down to Hi, I'm Chuck. I think it's great. So go on Amazon. You can get Hi, I'm Chuck on there. Um, If you're um, on our Facebook, uh, the Living Hope Cancer Foundation page, and you want a signed copy, then you can actually just message me and say, hey, I want a signed copy of Hi, I'm Chuck. And I, I asked for an address to show you how to pay for it. I sign it, write something of special in for, for each particular person I'm dealing with. And I drop it in the mail that day. Oh, I love that. That's very personable. We're losing that right now with this coronavirus and quarantine yeah. that we've been dealing with for the 2020 year. We'll say to, to the 2021 year, much more hope will be found and given, right? Yes, much more hope. To my listeners, thank you once again for listening to yet another amazing story. And if you have a story you want to share, know someone that you think should share their story, or you have an organization in your community like Chuck just shared that you feel needs to be recognized, please email me to the address of stories at christinehotchkiss.com. Until next time, everyone, I wish you well and you take care.